Good morning, Hope Church. Thanks for joining us the Sunday after Easter. Let me just welcome you uh, online and encourage you, if you're able, to come back and gather with us. This particular week, we are starting our growth hour, which includes classes for all ages. Our Sunday school uh, curriculum is starting up. We have growth hour in Word and world classes that have started. I uh, just want to encourage you, if you're able to come back, to do so. We also have a membership class coming up on the 21st. Wednesday night uh, of this month, and just asking that you consider being faithful to plug in, though very well aware with COVID uh, vaccinations, other protocols that you're being careful with that uh, now might not be the time. But we're just glad you're engaging with us in this way. I want to do want to make known to you uh, a, a ministry that we're participating with called Prayercast. We've done this before. We even support Prayercast. One of our own families, the Rugies. Their son, Chris, is working with Prayercast in the Chicagoland area, but they do a ministry every year called Love Muslims. And what they do is during the month of Ramadan, which, which this year starts on the 12th of April, so just, just in a day from now, uh, the, they do a daily prayer during Ramadan for Muslims. And, and let me tell you why. Their, their main thrust is that we should be praying, and that praying is one of the most important duties of the Christian. And that we should have prayers that reflect God's love and concern for the world. And that's praying that people would come to know the love of God through Jesus Christ. And so when you have literally 1.8 billion Muslims fasting and praying as part of this sacred holiday in their religion called Ramadan, we as Christians can rightly join praying to the true God that they would know and find him. And think of it this way. There have... There have been more Muslims coming to faith in Christ in the last 15 years than in the previous 1,400 years combined. God is working in Muslim parts of the world and in Islamic countries. But, but here's another truth that we need to hear. Out of every 100,000 Muslims, there's only one missionary. So if there's 1.8 billion Muslims one missionary for every 100,000 Muslims. So imagine the greater Rockford area, not just 140-some thousand in Rockford, but Manchesney Park, Loves Park, Roscoe, Rockton, Soploid, all of those towns around Rockford. Imagine the greater Rockford area having only two missionaries and the rest of that area, people who don't know Christ. So we need to be praying for God to, to make himself known to Muslims in Islamic countries around the world including our own uh, country where there are many, a growing number of Muslims. But we also need to be praying for God to raise up missionaries to reach them. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray in a moment after I read Scripture, but I want to encourage you to go to prayercast.com to sign up for a regular email. You get a video every single day for during the month of Ramadan at church on Sundays. We will be praying specifically uh, with Prayercast, showing a video each week and praying for this Love Muslims ministry, and we ask you to do the same in your homes. Do it with your kids and your families. You just Before you start work in the mornings, watch those videos each week. Sign up at prayercast.com. Join our church family and Christians around the world praying for Muslims in need of Christ. Let me read our text for this week. It's 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, 
who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything, God cre- everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word that we will now spend time in, wrestling with its meaning and applying it to our lives as we continue in this series through the pastoral letters. But Father, we pray right now for Muslims around the world. We pray for the 1.8 billion Muslims. We ask, Father, that you would do your work as you have seemingly the last decade and a half, that you would, would through, through visions, dreams, missionaries, church plants, organic relationships with other Christians, that you would lead Muslims to faith in Christ. Father, we were no different. Whether we believed in Allah or believed in our own ability of self-righteousness or some other pagan secular view, we were without Christ at one time. Now we know the truth. We've seen the light. We've been given life through Christ, and we pray that for, for men and women and children made in your image, people for whom you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for their sins, just like ours. Father, help our church to participate in the work that you're doing around the world by praying and reaching Muslims. Father, help us now as we turn to your word. Help us to be faithful and fruitful as we grow in Christ together as Christians at Hope Evangelical Free Church. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're starting in chapter 4 in 1 Timothy, and in this chapter, really what we'll cover the next three weeks, is a threat to the church warning that Paul is giving Timothy and this church in Ephesus and through God's word to us. So for the next three weeks in chapter 4, we will see Paul describe threats to the church. And even in this passage that was read just moments ago, you can see how God himself is warning us that there will be many false teachers, many false teachings, and that the influence, it will influence those who once claimed to follow Christ. That's what the first point this morning is, and let's look at that first verse. Paul says this, now the Spirit expressly says, notice that language, The Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to the deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. That's that's harsh and strong language. What is Paul saying? Well, we know from Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, specifically John 16, Jesus taught us that the Spirit will lead us into truth. Here, Paul is adding another dimension of this ministry of the Spirit, that the Spirit will also lead us away from falsehood. Those two things are important. The Spirit, by leading us into truth, will lead us away from falsehood. And look at what the Spirit's leading through Scripture is teaching us in verse 1, that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Latter times means right now. In the New Testament. Like when you, when you see latter times, I think for in our minds, maybe, maybe from kind of a, an American evangelical heritage that only links latter days or latter times 
to the last seven or so years of human history. That is not the way the Bible frames it. When the Bible says latter times, it's talking about what started at the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus began the end times. That is the reason why we worship on Sunday and not Saturday. Saturday was the last day of the week of the first creation. Sunday is the first day of the week of the new creation that Jesus has already, but not yet, completed the work of the new creation, and we, the church, and Christians are part of that. So when you see latter times used in the Bible, he's talking about right now. So Paul isn't saying, hey, I'm going to warn you about what's going to happen long after you're gone. He's saying, I warned you that in these days, the Spirit warned you that in these days, you will literally see people that you thought were part of the fold, were part of your churches, Christians among you, who will depart from the faith. Why? Because they look at the language at the end of verse 1. They have devoted themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Brothers and sisters, this is such an important text that reminds us of the ministry of the Spirit. And it is so easy for us in our tradition, in an evangelical, free, Baptistic-type tradition, to minimize or underemphasize the role of the Holy Spirit. Other traditions, maybe Pentecostalism or the charismatic movement, can overemphasize the ministry of the Spirit. We, we don't want to do either of those. Our tradition is jokingly described as believing in God the Father and, and God the Son and, and the Holy Scripture. And we, we, we've lost the role of the Spirit. We're almost afraid to say that because in other traditions, every, everything that a Christian says can be claimed to be the Spirit's leading me or directing me, whether it, even when it's hard to know if that's true. We want to believe that the Spirit is at work, leading us into all truth, as Jesus says, and leading us away from error, as Paul teaches. I remember I had an assignment when I was at seminary in Dallas, and a, a friend of ours, we, we went and we visited a Buddhist temple. We didn't go to a worship service of any sort. We just literally went into the, the guest area, visited. We just looked at the inside and left. And I remember specifically, my friend and I... He, my friend Dan is currently was a missionary in Africa for many years. He's now pastoring a church in Canada. He's a Canadian brother. But I remember when we walked into, just through the threshold of that temple, we felt this oppression. I, I couldn't wait to get out of there. In fact, we didn't stay. We, we, we told the instructors we couldn't go in. Because we walked in and I just felt this, this oppression, something I couldn't fully put my finger on, but it just felt like evil. It felt, I felt fear. I felt I wanted to get out of there. Because in a real sense, look at what Paul says. In a real sense, something like Buddhism, Hinduism, other religions, those are distortions. Those are deceitful teachings of the spiritual demonic world. Those aren't just common grace twistings. That is lies, distortions of what is true and right, denials specifically of who God is, managed by deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. We want nothing to do with that. And yet, brothers and sisters, we will see some that we believe were our Christian siblings devoting themselves, Paul says, or the Spirit warns, to such things. This is the reality in which we now live in these days. And the reality is this. There is a twisting and distortion of the truth by deceitful, demonic, and spiritual forces. 
Remember what Ephesians 6 teaches us? It is not mere flesh and blood. It is the spiritual forces at work. That is why when we pray, as, as, I, as I explained in the call to worship this morning, we are praying that God would lead 1.8 billion image bearers in Islamic parts of the world to know the truth about their creator through Jesus Christ. But we are praying because we know that they are being deceived by deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. There's half-truths. There's other gospels. There's other religions. In pagan temples, in Christian-looking cathedrals, and just in secularism that denies anything to do with the truth of Christianity. We just need to be aware of that. Paul is warning the church, this is not something that is out there and not here. This is in the context in which we live and we minister. So God wants us to be warned. That's the first thing I wanted to share with you this morning. God wants us to be warned that there are many false teachings that will influence those who once claimed to follow Christ. And we could spend all our time this morning trying to diagnose this reality in our own midst. We could look at specific examples or potentially and maybe dangerously even seek to find ministries or ministers that might be influenced in such a way. We don't need to do that. Paul will give us some more descriptions later. But here are a few ways, just by way of application to verse 1, that, that you and I can respond, or our church can respond. First of all, we need to be grounded. We need to be grounded on the Word of God and in the Gospel. We need to know what the Gospel is. We need to be catechizing our people. That's why just a few weeks ago, when I kind of give these kind of four visional goals for Hope Church 2025, one of them would be, was that we would be a catechizing church. Like we need to catechize our people. Literally this week, in between the first and second service, we are starting our growth hour. We are kicking back our Sunday school education for our children, and we are offering catechizing classes for our adults. We must be doing that to ground them on the truth of the Word of God and the Gospel. So we, number one, we need to be grounded. Here's another application. We need to be prepared. We need to be prepared for the reality that there are false teachings and, get this, that people will leave. They will, as Paul words it, depart from the faith by devoting themselves to false teachings and false teachers. And that will be personally painful. That will be pastorally burdensome, but we just need to be prepared for that because that is a reality that God's Word is saying will happen in our day. And what's, bro what, what, what's difficult with this brokenness and this situation is that it won't just be somebody whose name we know. This would, could, potentially could be our own kin, our children, our adult children who walk away from the faith, our grandchildren who don't believe in Christ, and even though at one point they were connected or raised in the context of a church. We just need to know that and not be surprised. We need to be grounded, we need to be prepared, and we need to pray. We need to pray hard. Pray that God would protect his church. Pray that we would be grounded in the gospel. Pray for those in our family and in our community that they would not devote themselves to the teachings of the spiritual demonic world. Those are things we can do. Again, just another plug from the call to worship that we pray during Ramadan for our Muslims in other parts of the world or even in our own country that during their holy week and month that we would help them and pray that they would come to know Jesus Christ. Well, Paul doesn't stop. He gives that explanation, that warning in verse 1, and now he gives more descriptions. In fact, 
In verses 2 and 3, I summarize by saying this, that there are three common traits of those who are in the business of false teachings. He explains how. And here's one scary note. He says that people will depart from the faith, end of verse 1, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Then he says this word in verse 2, through. And that word is important. The demonic forces will not manifest themselves in their ugly, evil natures but will clothe themselves and exploit human people and institutions. People who look nice, who talk nice, will literally be the ones through whom the teachings of deceitful spirits and demons are presented. It doesn't look like a deceitful spirit and demon. It looks like a guy or a, a woman like you and me. But it will be false. And here's how you know how? Number one, they will be hypocritical liars. Paul's language through verse two, the insincerity of liars. That is, they will oppose Jesus's lordship and deny the gospel's redemptive truth. They will twist scripture. They will deny God who God is. Remember, the best lies are often wrapped in sophisticated speakers and polished presentations. A couple sisters in our church just are, are so skilled at, at, at recognizing this in some of the teaching. And, and, and one, one woman in our church's grandchild had been influenced by some inappropriate teachings on hell and distortion of Scripture. And they, she sent me the video, and I was taking a peek at some of the talks. And it was this beautiful scene. It was a campfire scene with several of these Christian pastors in another state, and they're sitting around this campfire, and they're, and they're cool, and they're casual, and they're authentic, and it looks so good until you listen to what they say. And they twist Scripture. One pastor was talking about how I couldn't believe in a God, he said. I couldn't believe in a God that would coerce or demand of me in that way. That's not who God is. And immediately I paused the video. I'm like, who are you saying God is? That's not coming from his word. That's coming from your distorted reasoning. It's influencing a relative of somebody in our church, probably scores of other people. They will oppose Jesus' lordship. They will deny the gospel's redemptive truth because they are liars. A second trait of those in the business of false teaching is that they will have seared consciences. That's exactly what Paul says. Uh, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. That is, they will have a broken moral compass. That could also be interpreted to mean that they are literally bent on evil. Once truth is abandoned, that, then their lies will reflect rebellion and many symptoms of sin. That's the reality that we see. What do their lives look like? It's one thing to talk about their teaching. What do their lives look like? You see them with greed, power, physical pleasure, control. When you see those traits, that is not somebody who is serving God as creator and Lord. That is somebody who has a broken moral compass, who is teaching indeed a falsehood as well. Third, trait of those in the business of false teaching is that they will twist common grace. This is where Paul spends the rest of this text. Not only will the deceitful spirits and teaching of demons 
be communicated through their lies, beginning of verse 2, or through their seared consciences. But notice verse 3. They will forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. That's why I summarize verse 3 is they will twist common grace. They will take common grace things and twist them into special grace practices. Paul talks about marriage and food, two things Scripture clearly ordains as a good gift and purposeful for the common good. Paul is likely referring to, to any way common grace is said to influence special grace. Now, I've used these terms before, and this text again highlights how important understanding what common grace and special grace are. And, and literally, the, the C in common grace and the S in special grace is the easiest way to remember what they are, right? Common grace is anything that comes from our Creator. Special grace is anything that comes from S, our Savior. So if it's specifically mediated through Jesus because of his, his, his death on the cross and his resurrection, what Christians alone have, that's special grace. But common grace from the Creator, that's, every, that's the rain that, that feeds the crops and the sun that, that gives warmth and technologies and medicines or vaccines or all the things that are part of God's common grace gift to his creatures. So special grace is what Christians alone can have, but common grace is for all people. But when you start seeing common grace things being given special grace influence, you demean Jesus, who is the only mediator. He is the way. He is the truth. He's the life. Not marriage. Not foods. Jesus. When you start making common grace things having special grace significance, you demean the gospel. And this is just a general warning about any kind of commands that, that can be made in the name of Christ. Self-denial is often used as a way to become self-righteous. Look at me, what, what I don't do, what I refrain from. Self-denial is often used as a way to become self-righteous. I think we've seen that in our own tradition. Some aspects, good aspects of the fundamentalist movement Trying to, trying to ground on the fundamentals, had turned into common grace practices regarding movies or alcohol or cards or dancing that really facilitated self-righteousness. Looked no different than what the Pharisees wrestled with, the ones that Jesus spoke harshly against the most. Self-denial can often be used as a way to become self-righteous. So listen in contrast to the invitation verse 3 gives, enjoy the common grace gifts of our benevolent creator and heavenly father. That's what he says at the end of verse 3. Rather than twisting the meaning of marriage and foods, God created them, quote, to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. That's why these categories of common grace and special grace are important. He ends in verses 4 and 5 explaining this a bit more. And I, could, I even summarize this by simply saying there are three common traits of those who understand the common grace gifts of God. Paul doesn't want to stop. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to just kind of make that claim and move on. He wants to show you how common grace things are good. How you're supposed to enjoy the gifts of the Creator and the life that you have. And he fleshes this out with traits, habits of those 
who understand God's common grace. He wants you to know that there are three traits of those who know what is good about God as creator and father. And he starts by saying this, everything created by God is good. That is a statement that comes from Genesis 1 through 2. Seven times, the the emphatic number seven, seven times God said about all of his creation, including the human design for family and marriage, that it is good. And the last one, the seventh one, it was very good. It is good. It is a gift from the creator. It is common grace. This te- that statement, everything created by God is good, teaches us to connect all things to God. I've said before, and, and, and you're, you're stuck with the, with the habits of your pastor, but I love Romans eleven thirty six. 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. What an important verse that that exemplifies how we connect all things to God. All things are from him. The rain, the meal that we're eating, the the spouse to whom we are married, the children God has given us, the bodies in which we live. All things are from him, all things are through him, and all things are to him. They, They come from him, they are maintained and used for his purposes, and they return to him for his glory. Romans 11, 36. So what are the traits of those who know that all things created by God are good? The first is this. They receive common grace gifts with thanksgiving. That's what Paul says. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. End of verse 4. They receive it as a gift. That's why it's called common grace. The word grace in the Greek literally is the same word that can mean gift. Gift, same root. It's It's a common gift. All creatures get special grace, special gift is what people who believe in Jesus get. Work hard, brothers and sisters, to appreciate not only the spiritual things. Don't don't, don't just focus on the soul and special grace. Focus on the body and common grace. Be thankful for every breath that you take. For every uh, sip of something that tastes sweet and good. Every giggle from your child or grandchild, every grabbing of the hand by your spouse, the income that you have. It doesn't mean life is perfect. We're in the already, but not yet. We know know that. This is still in the not yet. But we're seeing the partial goodness of gifts, even in the midst of brokenness, that God will one day fully redeem. Appreciate those things. That's the first Receive common grace gifts with thanksgiving. Here's the second and the third are rooted in verse 5. 4, verse 5 says, It is made holy by the word of God, there's the second, and prayer, there's the third. Made holy means that these two, word and prayer, are a means of grace that they sanctify, that they set them apart. Maybe I could use the language of they're shepherding devices to teach and guide God's people. So how should we understand God's common grace? Number one, we receive it with thanksgiving. Number two, we use it in reliance on Scripture. And number three, we seek the will of God for it in prayer. God gives guidance on the goodness and purpose of creation through his word. He helps us know what is a proper and right use of these things. How should I love my children? How should I be as a parent? How should I care for my spouse? How should I use my money? How should I appreciate God's creation? How should I care for such things? Scripture guides us in that. 
I, I love the passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 7 through 10. And this is, this is what Ecclesiastes says. Listen, listen to common grace being described here. Ecclesiastes 9 says this. Go and eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Why has he approved it? Because he made it good. Let your garments always be white. Let oil not be lacking on your head. Enjoy the bounty of God's creation. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your empty, short life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Enjoy your family. Cuddle your grandchildren. Praise God for your spouse, your extended family, your deep friendships. Or verse 10, now talks about work. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. That's your role. Enjoy your work. Be creative. Cultivate creation. That's common grace. Scripture guides us into that. Enjoy life as a gift from God and for the glory of God. But always remember, not just, not just me blessed kind of language where it's about me and not about God, but from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory for and ever and ever. Amen. Common grace from God. The last is prayer. For it is made holy, it is a shepherding device by the word of God and prayer. Seek the word of God in prayer. In prayer, we seek to align our ways with God's will. Many Christians over the years have assumed that that last word in verse 5, prayer, implies that we should be praying before meals. In fact, some would rightly say that that is what we should do, that this, this is a proof text for that. And while it's difficult to know if that's exactly what's intended by Paul's language, it sure is a good practice. Why do we pray before a meal? Not because we'll be poisoned if we eat it without praying, but because we never want to receive anything common without seeing it as something that's grace. Brothers and sisters, everything created by God is good. This is a, this is a rich text that at one side warns us of the demonic falsehoods and teachings that the Spirit is teaching us to be careful of. And as a church, we should be grounded in God's Word and the Gospel. We should be diligent and aware of what's happening and be praying. But this text also then positively exalts God's common grace, the goodness of creation, the beautiful spring weather we're tasting now as the grass grows and the flowers bloom and the windows are opened and there's a refreshing that happens in this time of year. That's all part of God's grace. And Christians rightly see it not just in a neutral sense, an atheistic sense, but in a Christian sense as part of God's gift to his children. So here would be an assignment this week. Spend this week celebrating the many common grace gifts of, of God in your life. Like literally think about, spend, spend each evening looking past over the day and say, well, what are the common grace gifts that I've received? Uh, an employment to be able to, to, to care for my family, the, the taste of a good meal, a, 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 a fresh and crisp vegetable, something sweet and special to drink, a favorite dessert, a walk where you saw the beauty of God's creation, the birds in the air, Time with family and friends, deep relationships. Take all it in. Take note of it. And when you do, 
do so not only for your own enjoying good, but ultimately for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word which ministers to us and teaches us, guides us and directs us. Thank you that today this text this, this morning not only gives us a warning about what we are facing now with falsehood and deception, but also teaches us what is most true about the world that you made. Help us to be enjoyers of your common grace gifts. Help Christians to see the value and the beauty of all creation, not just the soul, but the body, not just the world to come, but the world that was already made good, even in the midst of its fallenness. Father, thank you that from you and through you and to you are all things. Guide us, protect us as your church. Help us to be bearers of the good news and word and deed in your beautiful creation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.